like no business I know. From the beautifully restored Teddy's Brew House in downtown Brongwood, it's waxing lyrically. Well, sir, here we are again. There's no people like show people. They smile when they are long. The podcast devoted to and hosted by our own lyric theater players. We've all got our health. And as far as anything else is concerned, we'll leave it to you. And here's your host for today, Paul Underwood. Hello and welcome to Waxing Lyrically, episode 31, if you're counting along with us. Hey, our guest today is Jeff Tucker, owner-operator of, and head janitor too, I guess, okay, of Teddy's Brewhouse and the star of Moss Hearts, You Can't Take It With You, which takes the stage September 24th for a two-week run. Did you just say the star? Are you just now figuring that out? <laughs> yeah, that, sorry, I, that's the first time I've been hit with that. But go ahead, I didn't mean to interrupt. Wow, well, I'm feeling so lofty right now. As he unwraps his first cigar of the interview. <laughs> Did you? Okay, Jeff, one thing I can promise you about today's episode is this. Regardless of how this interview turns out, it's not going to tell the whole story of my guest today. There's no way. Well, that's kind of you. Some call you rah-rah. True. Please welcome Jeff Tucker. <laughs> it's good to be here. <laughs> Who the hell told you that story? <laughs> Damn it. Okay. Tracy's been talking to you. Something no, no, it's not. It's not Tracy. Oh, but uh, wow. yeah, I had to do my research on you, Jeff. <laughs> More than I probably ever had to do because usually, you know, mm. when I have people on waxing lyrically, it's a podcast about theater actors. Right. And that's a very small, little, minute part of your... Mm-hmm. If we were just going to talk theater, this show would be over in 10 minutes. <laughs> okay. I mean, what'd you expect? I didn't know what to expect. Okay, <laughs> okay. help me fill in the blanks sure. here. All right, you're a 1981 graduate of Irving High School. Correct. You're married to Tracy. Yes. How long have you guys been married? Uh, we got married in 94. 94. So we're going on, what, 27 years something like that okay All long right. damn time feels three, like yesterday yeah <laughs> three beautiful kids Mackenzie, caitlin jackson correct we're, Those, we're going to talk about family later i'm yeah. just going through there yeah. um college yes <laughs> <laughs> i didn't i'm a late bloomer i didn't i didn't start college till um I guess I was 27. Okay. Yeah, and I was living down in Hillsborough, and I started going to Hill College and was knocking out some UCRs to go to TCU. Okay, all right. Yeah, that's where I graduated from. Um, you know, this is a theater podcast, so let's just touch on how you can't take it with you, which is a mouthful to say. I hear you can't. How's it going? I think it's going good. Now, we talked just off mic before, and you said you had your, kind of your first off-book rehearsal. Yeah, last night, we, we all decided to come in during the holiday. Everybody was, I think nobody traveled out of town for last night. So we did our first off-book reading last night, and it went that one went surprisingly well. What possessed you to audition for this show? Well, I, you know, it's the second time that I've auditioned. Yeah, you were in Get Smart. I was in Get Smart. I, which was kind of right in the middle of the COVID deal. Correct, yeah. We were all wearing masks and distancing. <laughs> Poor Larry had to make sure we were eight feet apart from each other. No, um, I've done some, and I say some, very limited acting mm-hmm. uh, in college, in Circle Theater in Fort Worth. Okay. And um, I just, I liked it. It's a, it's a good release. It's fun. And I wanted to find another way to kind of get involved in the community. Yeah. And so why not get involved in the community with uh, good people and do something you like to do? Correct me if I'm wrong, but it was probably these theater people who would show up after performances. Yes. When you first opened Teddy's. Right. That kind of opened your eyes to this new world. Yeah, I kept asking about the lyric. We had gone down to uh, the shows, and of course, my kids, especially Mackenzie and Jackson, have all been in acting in UIL Act One at the high school. So we yeah. learned more about the lyric through them as well there. And then, of course, Jackson was 
uh, one of the leads in um, Greece recently. Yeah, Danny Zuko. Yeah, yeah. And so, yeah, it was, uh, yeah, just kind of, a, it was interesting to see everybody come in. They kept asking me, I, I, I guess Val said, look, you got to come try out. And then I talked to you about it. You got to uh-huh. come try out. So yeah. that's what possessed me to try out. Got it. Yeah. Okay. I want you to read this quote. Don't even tell me who it's by yet, because we'll talk about that at the end. But let's just start off. Read me that quote. Put on your spectacles there. And So nothing in the world is worth having or doing unless it means effort, pain, difficulty. I have never in my life envied a human being who led an easy life. Now, I get a sense, Jeff Tucker, that it hasn't been necessarily an easy life for you it, you've chosen to go difficult roads yeah I, I i've taken the path less traveled for sure yeah you've seen things in your life that most of us only see in our nightmares probably um you you face challenges you've reinvented yourself uh i'm counting <laughs> two three four Five or six times. I'd, I'd say that's probably <laughs> way accurate, and I'm embarrassed to say it's probably a higher number, but yeah. And you still got half a life to live. I mean, how many more reinventions do you have in you as we sit here in the shadows of the Brownwood Hotel <laughs> at Teddy's Brewery? Yeah, yeah, that's going to happen too. Um, you know, I, I tell people who ask me that I, I consider myself a serial entrepreneur, which is a polite way of saying the guy doesn't know when to stop or give up. <laughs> um, but no, I, I, I guess that's probably pretty accurate. I, I think maybe if I pass and there is a funeral and people come to it, at least they might hear I've done a few things with my life rather than, you know, be idle. Yeah. I'm not an idle guy. So yeah. I'm always, I'm always moving and working and learning and wanting to learn and, you know, even just like at TCU, I recently, last semester, I got my master's. Oh, wow. And um, so I'm just, I'm built that way. I can't seem to stop. <laughs> Let's take it all the way back uh, to your growing up. Okay. Since this is a theatrical podcast, mm-hmm. and since we're talking about you can't take it with you, for the folks that are familiar with the movie, which I watched yesterday, as yeah. a matter of fact, did you grow up in a house that was more like the Kirby's or the Vanderhoffs? Uh, it was <laughs> worse than the Vanderhoffs. Really? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it, was. it was. It was crazy. So, you know, the Vanderhoff house is just free spirit everywhere. Was that, was that yours? Yeah, it, it was. And, of course, that's going back in time where be home before dark. Yeah. You know, right. so you were on to your own devices. Your dad was a firefighter. He was. For the city of Irving. Yes, sir. Have you written the song Borrowed Boots yet, Jeff? No. Do you know where I'm going with this? It sounds like a song title whenever I heard that story. But I want, if you don't mind, I kind of want you to share the story because you eventually went in and followed in your dad's footsteps. Yeah, I I mean, I, I literally did cut my teeth on the Irving Fire Department. Yeah. So I remember as a kid... I mean, you know, you, I'd ride my bike up to the station, Yeah. you know, and learn to know and huh, love those men. Yeah. 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 I learned a lot from them. Um, so you, you and your dad were getting ready to go on a trip somewhere, I think, but he, or something or another, and he called you to go with him on, yeah. on a call. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> I'm sorry. No, no, yeah. it's okay. It's uh, I mean, I want to tell I want to tell your story, and I want people to hear your story. Well, I'll try to keep a straight face. Okay. Um, All right. So my grandfather lived. Uh, he was a foreman on Kimberlin Ranch, uh, down below Possum Kingdom Dam there, and we would leave in the mornings to go uh, fishing uh, down there at Possum Kingdom. Yeah. So we got up early one morning, and uh, or so I thought, and and. Uh, I looked out across uh, the back of the truck, and it looked like the sun was coming up. It's coming out of the east yeah. in our driveway there in Irving, Texas. Anyway, uh, short version is uh, I asked Daddy. I was kind of upset with him. I think I was six, maybe almost six. I was kind of upset that we didn't leave early because we normally, by the time we got to the lake, sun's coming up. Yeah. We're hitting the water. We're catching bass. Um, 
And so I was a little perturbed. I said, you know, why are we getting away so late? And he kind of looked at me odd. And what are you talking about? I said, well, the sun's coming up. And he looked over and his whole body demeanor changed. Mm. Uh, he grabbed his uh, <laughs> helmet <clears throat> and uh, bunker coat and said, get in the truck, boy. And said it in a way that, you know, when your dad talks sternly. Yeah. And I uh, I immediately jumped in this old 1959 rust bucket Apache pickup truck. And Dad pops a clutch, backing out of it, and off we go. And we go to a little street named Little John, and there's a full uh, house engaged in a smoking fire show. And <clears throat> we were the first ones on the scene. Daddy got out, put on his helmet and bunker coat, and pulled one person a house, out of the house. Yeah, yeah. it's a house fire. Yeah, house fire. And, yeah. and before he went in, you know, he, he set me down on the curb, and he said, don't move. Mm. And so I sat there, and I'm watching him do his thing. Next thing I know, he comes back out and grabs a garden hose, goes inside, and he hears the trucks come up. And, I mean, right in front of me drives this. And it was still dark. I, I, I mean, I, I can still feel the exhaust coming off the pipe of the truck that drove in front of me as mm. it parked in front of this house. <clears throat> and it blocked my view and I got up and moved further down the curb so I could watch the chaos. And uh, uh, next thing I know, Dad's back out joining with the other firemen. And I see him up on top of the roof. <clears throat> and the roof collapses. Mm. And I don't mean just collapses. I mean, it just almost looks like it's self-imploded. And he disappears. He disappeared. I thought he died. Yeah. Right there. How did the borrowed boots enter into the story? He, when he came back out of the house, he'd stopped by the ladder truck and grabbed a pair of boots from the engineer. Engineers don't go into the fire. They pump the water. Yeah. And so he put them on, and they were way, way tight. But they're probably what saved his life. He went down and was holding on to the hose. Two other firemen behind him were behind him, and he was trying to inch backwards <clears throat> up this fire hose hanging over a flame. Uh, Literally, he told me he could see a burned body laying on a couch inside the living room. And uh, the fireman grabbed his boots and put them around him and helped him back up. And because the boots were so tight, it probably literally saved him from Yeah, the boots wouldn't come off there. otherwise. Yeah. 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 Um, I found a, a photo of your dad sitting, you know, that famous photo. Famous to you is him sitting there. I'm sure it's a cherished photo of yours. Uh, with that, and first time I saw it, I thought, well, look, there's Jeff right there in his firefighter <laughs> outfit. I really did. I thought, he looks a little different, but you could yeah. see, well, you could see the resemblance for sure. Yeah. Um, Where did you find this? Where did you find this story? <laughs> God, I'm so <laughs> mad at you right now. Are you talking about him sitting on the truck with his book? Uh, I think he's inside the firehouse. Oh, you okay. See, you see the city of Irving patch yeah. on his sleeve. Yeah. 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 Um, dark hair, mustache. Yeah. Good looking dude. He was a pretty handsome bastard. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, high school sports. You were quite an athlete. Tried to be. Played some football. Until they kept knocking me out. <laughs> yeah. Played a little bit. Yeah. Baseball. Yeah. Now, baseball was my sport, too. I, I played some baseball. I, I got into all the sports like everybody else did. Yeah. Um, yeah. Busted Bronx. Yeah. I did a little rodeo. Yeah. Talk to me about the dune buggy accident. <laughs> I mean, I want to. How do you know this? Did I tell you this? Um, so I was 16, competing at a decent level in gymnastics at that time. Uh, we were up in Lake Texoma, and uh, we had a dune buggy, and you'd pull individual brakes, and it could donut. Just you and some buddies? Uh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. And uh, the guy that was driving it that was with us up there, we were all camping out. I mean, he was. I don't know, a grown man. <laughs> you know, I just, I, I couldn't drive. I, I, when I say 16, I think I just turned 16. Didn't even have a license yet. Yeah. Had a motorcycle license. Anyway, it, when we did a donut, it ended up hitting a, this was kind of an area that we didn't realize was a cleared area, meaning that they'd cut a bunch of trees. Yeah. So there was a stump sticking out of the ground a Ooh. few inches, and the back wheel caught it, and the dune buggy flipped, and I rolled with it. The driver was tossed out of it. And then when I rolled with it, uh, I broke every rib on the left side of my body, mm. punctured a lung, broke my back in two places. Um, 
and they wouldn't take me there at the hospital in Oklahoma, so I drove all the way back to Irving, Texas in a, a back of a pickup bed. Oh, my gosh. How yeah. painful was that? It's pretty rough. Yeah. A long drive. Wow. And how, how would your life have been different if it weren't for that? Would you have continued on with gymnastics? I, I think I definitely would have. I mean, I, you know, it's funny. I didn't, I didn't really have a plan for college. Everybody else was getting ready for college. I didn't really have that in my thought process. And I think a lot of it had to do because my people were really just kind of working class people. You get out of high school, you get a job. And I I don't know, I might have been able to take it to another level, maybe. Right. Who knows? You still feel that? Still feel the pains from that? (laughs) Yeah. I keep a lot of BC powders around just for that reason. (laughs) I think I'm kidding. I you know, but but I've handled it pretty well. I mean, I I ended up using when I when I got out of ICU. Uh, so I guess I was in there for a couple of weeks, and when my lungs got good again, you know, I got back out, and and it took me a while for the bones to heal. But once they healed, then I started kind of using gymnastics to get back in shape. Just yeah. get, you know, I was I was pretty top athlete. So anyway, I used that, and then you know after I got out of high school. Um, I uh, just started looking for a job. Yeah. You know, but I still did gymnastics at clubs, or I'd go to UTA. They had full equipment there, and I'd work compulsories and stuff. What's the most amount of weight you put on your shoulders to do dips? Oh, uh, <laughs> wow. It was a lot of kettlebells. My triceps almost failed. I remember that. I was in real good shape then. It was a lot. I, it was a lot. I, I couldn't tell you the number. You uh, yeah, I've, I've seen I've seen photos of six pack ab oh, Jeff man. out there, yeah. and you've got the buzz cut. You know, the no hair. And you know who you you could be? You and Stephen Haynes could be twins. <laughs> I had more top hair than Stephen Haynes. <laughs> But no, but I, but I did. I mean, you know, I took that job very seriously because you have to be in shape for that job. You put on your bunker gear, you weigh 84 more pounds just because you put that on. Right. And then you're grabbing gear, moving hose. Yeah, not just for you, but for your buddies. you got to be well, absolutely. in shape. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you got to be in shape for them. Yeah. Um, a firefighter. Yeah. And then you move on to become an arson bomb investigator. Mm-hmm. Any stories there? I, I don't want to get into the because we've talked a little bit about your kind of some gory firefighter stuff. <laughs> and uh, I had a bunch of good bomb stuff. I mean, it, you know, it. So, yeah, I was a bomb tech. I did my EOD training at Redstone Arsenal through the FBI in Alabama. And it's, it's known as one of the best bomb schools on the planet. Yeah. I mean, like people from Israel and England come there to study how to take apart explosives. So I was real proud of that. I was the only firefighter of rank of firefighter who ever held that position. Normally you had to be a engineer or a lieutenant. And so I got recruited in there and went through the police academy. I did a year's worth of training before I got cut loose to do that job. I mean, we, gosh, I went down to a, uh, the Bloods and Crips were in Fort Worth still then, and they were yeah. battling. Yeah, right. so yeah. I went into a drug house one night and there was 25 pot bombs stacked up in the closet in there uh people would be people would be blown away by the number of ordinance that we've collected mm. not only just in tarrant county yeah but the fbi and atf supplied us with a tri-county area so we discovered on average at least uh, four devices a month for a full year damn uh, real devices yeah wow so um and then on the arson side, if somebody, we'll just say, for instance, somebody had a structure that maybe was built in the 1970s or so, and they wanted to burn it down and make it look like an accident. Oh, wow. How would they do it, Jeff, and get away with I it? I can't how, tell you this. Would, <laughs> you know, it, well, what they said in the academy uh, was that, uh, in, in training, rather, arson training, that the smart and the hardest arsonist to catch would be the one that used natural combustibles to start a fire. Yeah. Uh, and so there are ways to hide uh, arson. Yeah. Yeah. Ever have a case go unsolved in your when Yeah, you were there? I mean, but we, we actually had a pretty impressive conviction rate. Our conviction rate was in the high 90 percentile. And so, you know, but it was also that way because it's such a hard crime to prove. But, yeah, we, we were good at collecting evidence, and we were tenacious about those that we suspected. And 
I actually caught a guy who was burning his employees' cars. He was sexually molesting them, then burning their cars to keep them quiet because <laughs> oh, it, because they feared that something else worse would happen, yeah. right? Wow. Like if that isn't bad enough. And I caught this guy, and he was working for a fast food restaurant. Wow. And it turned up that a lot of his victims all looked the same. I mean, they were, it was really eerie how they had the same demeanor, uh, same kind of build. I mean, it was really strange. This guy was grooming people. Anyway, long story short, we arrested him. And Sounds and, like uh, an episode of Criminal Minds I'm there. telling you. Yeah, and then I <laughs> caught a guy working for the city who was actually burning uh, vacant warehouses on the north side of Fort Worth. And mm. when he found out that we had him, he killed himself. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> so, wow. yeah, all kinds of – there's lots of stories. <laughs> lots of stories. So you put in your time – I put in 20 and got out. My time averaged out to be about 20 years. Okay. Uh, I, I, re- I retired a little shy of that physical number, but see, we worked 56 hours a week. Yeah. So that and plus overtime, when you average out all your time and when you leave, they average your time out for your span. And it was just right at 20 years, which yeah. Yeah. was probably 10 years longer than I really wanted to be there. Really? Yep. What made you want to get out at 20? Is it just wear on you, just the, the day in, day out? It was a combination of things. There was no magic bullet, but I, I, there were several things. Most importantly, you had I had a family. Had a family. Mackenzie <laughs> had come to the fire hall one day, and I think what pushed me over the edge were two specific things. She saw Daddy come home uh, dirty, sweaty, sooty, and didn't really know my job. And her and Tracy had come up to the firehouse one time. Well, we had just gotten back from this barn burner of a fire and looked like you know hammered crap i mean bloody and sweaty and all this but we're all full of joy you know we did our job kind of thing (laughs) it's a weird job man. yeah yeah anyway she started crying when she saw me oh wow and i remember as a kid listening to the radio in the other room when there were fires in irving and worrying if dad was going to come home yeah uh especially in a lot of what happened you know in the uh borrowed boots thing yeah. You know, I, yeah I i saw dad i thought die once i didn't want to hear it or see it again mm. so that was one thing and the other was i'd gone on a call of somebody that i knew uh from tcu and it kind of pushed me to to say okay i think i've had enough of this yeah yeah and so i left yeah and after that the <clears throat> what i can make of it is now you are kind of making your hobbies your real jobs and this is kind of my hobby you know this podcast but you're kind of taking you know you've taken some hobbies and you've kind of turned them into work and jobs take that as a high compliment absolutely i really do yeah i think so i mean the things that interest me is what i dive into and if i can create a revenue stream for that all the better but not everything is about you know that but i mean i I think that's pretty accurate description Now, I did my research, obviously. You're no stranger to podcasts, Jeff. I found the In the Trenches. There's one called Breaking Ordinary. There's a whole life podcast out there. Um, Golly. In 2006, I think it was, you started GSX Athletics. Correct. You got a little gym. Yeah, about 27,000 square feet. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) All sorts of fitness aspects in there. And... It really kind of took off, and Mm -hmm. you kind of achieved, and you'll scoff at this, but this is some of your peers on these podcasts called you a legend in the CrossFit world. You kind of brought gymnastics into this fitness craze, CrossFit. Well, the methodology is rooted in several movements, uh, strength training, cardio, gymnastics, bodyweight training. Yeah. Um, and nutrition. But I mean, yeah, we're on the lower foundational tier of movement, meaning gymnastic movement Mm -hmm. uh, to get in shape. But yeah, Yeah. they, uh, I didn't know what CrossFit was when we had built GSX, but about six months after we opened, a buddy of mine that was a fireman came in and said, hey, have you heard of this CrossFit thing? And I looked at it and at first I kind of laughed at it. I thought it was kind of silly. Yeah. But the more I dug into it and then when I saw the gymnastic component of it, I thought, hey, that's impressive. And I decided right then and there, honestly, that I was going to find a way to get in that door and teach the gymnastic component. Yeah. And that's what I ended up doing is getting them to come look at our facility, which was state of the art, first class, mm-hmm. brand new. Yeah. You know, it hardly had a scuff anywhere, you know, in the yeah. wall. Right? Yeah. 
And so they were way impressed, and they liked my background as a first responder because a lot of their trenches of people were uh, Navy SEALs, Marine Corps uh, recon, uh, first responders, police. And, and so there was this huge military first responder connection to CrossFit, so they loved that. And it turns out that I knew a lot of the people they knew because of the training I had done. I mean, I've trained at Cherry Point. I've trained at... Uh, Oahu Navy SEALs. I've trained uh, Fort Bragg. I've been all over the domestic states. Wow. Camp Pendleton. Yeah. So, yeah, so they kind of, they started asking me to come teach their soldiers to get in shape in the field using nothing but a pair of rings. And this took you all over the world, too. Yeah, for for over a decade. You, like, traveled to Australia? Yes, sir. Yeah, several times. The last time I was there, I spent three weeks in Australia. Yeah. Yeah totally over with now because this was still like back a year ago i don't you know uh, yeah. we've been friends for about that long and i had no idea you're you're not you're not talking about this yeah i part didn't of really make it a big you know there was something that happened and and in two things one i had done it for 12 years yeah which honestly for me that's kind of a long time yeah uh, just and, kind of a natural time to move on. Yeah, it's normally about five to ten years is my life spent on something. <laughs> <laughs> but I had done a long time, but it was very, very lucrative. And I had a staff of 40 yeah. working for me globally. Yeah. I mean, we literally would be in Cairo <laughs> one weekend, and the same weekend I'd have another crew down in Arkansas. You know, yeah. we'd be all over the globe. But it was starting to get to that point where I had already got a couple of my lead staff to just say, hey, look, I want you to take over. Mm-hmm. I want to go play cowboy out at this ranch, <laughs> and I'll take a royalty, and I'll pay you well. Yeah, yeah. And that's what I did. And then, uh, literally, not not this past June, but the prior June before that, CrossFit CEO had made some very outlandish, negative comments, uh, racist comments. Mm. Uh, during the George Floyd episode. Oh, okay, yeah. And I was just just, just aghast. And frankly, it was it was back one of those, it was, for me, it was the last straw. Like, yeah. You know, I've kind of dealt with some of their BS over the years as a company. They're pretty avant-garde. Yeah, yeah. And I just said, you know, I'm done. Yeah. I'm done. And then some things came out that he had done to some of the female coaches. Mm. And so I'm like, I'm, I'm out of here. But it's yeah. still got to make you feel good because, I mean, I actually saw some videos of you working with people out on the rings. I'm so sorry. No, <laughs> it, was, it was great just to hear you coach because you did. it was fantastic. And it's got to make you feel good. There's people out there that will forever call you coach. True. That's got to still be, do today. Yeah, that's got to be cool. I got emails today from people still call me coach. Yeah. I mean, that's a and again, it's a very high compliment. Yeah, I, I, I have a hard time wearing that badge, but. Just from a personal level, I, I, I self-deprecate pretty heavy. <laughs> but but no, I, I am. I mean, I'm honored to have been a part of that community. And not only just a part of it, a founding, you know, OG of yeah, the CrossFit yeah, community. Yeah. I'm very proud of it. I mean, it. you wrote a stinking book about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> oh, you're finding all sorts you're, of things out about uh, Jeff <laughs> Tucker here. <laughs> All right, I can edit any of this out if you want me to, Okay, all right, jerk, jerk, jerk. (laughs) (laughs) All right, let's talk about your acting background. Yeah, this won't take long. All right. (laughs) Um, Jeff, how much acting was involved when you were in the reality show Darkness? None. Cave of the Seven Serpents. Yeah, oh, that sounds so dramatic. (laughs) Oh, there was I no saw, I only saw five serpents, by the oh way. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> One's enough. I'll let you tell the story on first how you got recruited for this. I think it was A&E, wasn't it? Well, no, it, it was Discovery. It was Discovery. Yeah, okay. Discovery, it was Discovery Which was legit, I thought. Yeah, yeah. a new reality show. Yeah. And how does Jeff Tucker end up being on the uh, season one, episode one? <laughs> so this community, we were just talking about CrossFit, right? Uh-huh. Yeah. Somebody had made a post about it. And they said, you know, you would be perfect for this. And I was like, oh, ha, 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 you know. <laughs> and I said, whatever. And I made some kind of curt comment. Well, whoever was reading the comments contacted me because they had checked me out. Yeah, and yeah. Evidently, much like you have, they've done a lot of research. <laughs> you didn't get much sleep last night. <laughs> and, and so they said, hey, would you be interested? And I said, hey, are you guys for real? You know, first off, Facebook. I oh, yeah, that. yeah. So the talent scout contacted me. We had a Skype meeting. 
Okay. And so I had, it this was an back interview. in 2017. I think so. Yeah. It's been four years, I guess. Yeah. And, and so, yeah, I, I did an interview with her and she goes, Hey, I'm really interested in you. And I, would you fill out an application? So I filled it out, sent it in. And then they called me literally that day and said, we want to have a Skype interview with you and the producer, uh, on the discovery channel. I'm like, okay. So I ran in the other room, told Tracy, and she's like, no way. <laughs> and then she goes, well, wait a minute. We've met. I know you. Yeah, this is, this is actually probably happening. So they fly you guys out to the Ozarks. Yeah, we were supposed to go to Mexico, but there was too much bat guano in the cave, and we couldn't breathe. <laughs> so that changed overnight. Oh, really? Yeah. So you, you actually, did you go down there? Yeah, we like, were going to a deep, dark <laughs> jungle, and then the health guy, the safety guy said, we can't do this here. It's too dangerous. Wow. And so then we went to the Ozarks to this, this cave system had only been discovered three years ago. Three survival experts, strangers stranded deep underground. I literally can't see my hand in front of my face. In complete darkness. Be careful. There's nothing below. <laughs> Based on elite pitch black astronaut and military training, designed to push them beyond their limits. Wow. Bitch. Will they survive? I'm about to fall. And find their way out? This is insane. Or will they succumb? One false move can be fatal. <laughs> to the darkness. I called Rob Butcher two weeks before we were supposed to do it, who is not only the producer, the director. Okay. And I was going to bow out. Told him, I said, I don't want to do it. And the first thing he said is, who got to you? And I'm like, well, nobody got to me. I said, I just, I said, look, I, I kind of have a, I, I kind of have this person I am to a community mm-hmm. and I don't want to embarrass myself, yeah. you know, in this community. Yeah. And it's very lucrative what I do for a living. And Which you didn't embarrass yourself. I mean, I'll Oh, cut, I disagree. I'll cut, oh. <laughs> I do. I disagree. I, they, they broke <laughs> me. Come fourth day, they broke me. Yeah. But, but, but anyway, he, the short of it is he just said, hey, look. He goes, you're perfect for this. This will, he goes, we can tell this is going to test you. Yeah. And that's what we want to do. We want to really have a real person who's no BS, you know, please don't back out of it. And so I said, well, you got to answer me two questions. And he goes, okay. I said, how the hell do I go to the bathroom? (laughs) First question. (laughs) He goes, well, we have a system for that. And he goes, it's the same thing they use for NASA. Yeah. And I said, and is it really dark? I said, is this a real thing? I said, the next thing. If I get down there and it's going to be like you guys are hanging up backdrops and we're acting like we're doing this, I said, I'm not in. He goes, no, no. He goes, you're not going to see light until you get out of there. And that was the most astonishing thing. I said, well, how are you going to do that in film? And he goes, okay, I'm going to tell you more than I've told anybody else. Mm -hmm. And when he did that, it put me at a comfort level to realize this was going to be a real test Yeah, because I didn't want to waste my time with it. It was just a bunch of BS. Well, it looked like a test. Holy crap. Pretty wet. Why am I doing this? People told me I was too old. Well, I hate being told I can't do anything, and that's a fact. This is surreal. I feel like I'm in a damn horror movie. That last light is, you know what it feels like? It feels like hope, and I'm walking away from it. Baby steps, buddy. Baby steps. There was three, I guess you'll call them contestants or whatever, sure. three men, and there were kind of three separate entrances that y'all all each kind of went down your separate entrances. Correct. And you eventually all meet up, and then you, you, find, your, you find your way out. Yeah. But real stuff, though. I mean, yeah. you could not see your hand in front of your face. No, I still hadn't had my leg repaired from it. My left knee is still jacked from that. And then... Heck, Brandon, who was down in the cave, I think he was in there 10 minutes and he broke his front tooth just walking into a wall. An <laughs> overhang hit him. This guy's like six foot five, two hundred. Is this the San Francisco firefighter? No, he's a Shreveport firefighter. Oh, okay. Shreveport, yeah. okay. Uh, matter of fact, we still talk. Still talk. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But, I-, I could see yeah. how an event like a show like this could yeah. bond. Well, it bonded us. We wanted to kill the other guy. <laughs> <laughs> the guy that stripped down buck naked. We wanted to kill him. Uh, <laughs> We literally, this guy's a Navy, not a Navy, so he was a Green Beret. He sounded like a Will Ferrell. He really did sound like a Will so Ferrell character. So horrible. I mean, like, we literally ended up putting him in the middle of us as we walked. Yeah. Because he would get lost. He'd fall down. He couldn't find uh, himself. I mean, he he had really lost it. Yeah. 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 But, yeah, we wanted to kill Jack. Well, I mean, it, 
you say you embarrassed yourself. I say you didn't. They they broke you. It was a it evidently was a real deal yeah. tough challenge. It brought back some real raw memories from you, and and we got to see that on camera, and it was riveting. It really was. <laughs> well, I'll take it as a compliment, but I I look at it and I just go, oh my god, why did I do this anyway? Real stuff. It was a real deal. You know, they used the infrared cameras, and we were able to yeah. see. And I guess that's probably why the show ultimately didn't make it past a couple. Of I was episodes. huge down in Asia. Oh yeah, I'm not kidding. Like really? down there in Asia, I mean, people. I, I still get fan emails. <laughs> I do. <laughs> Because uh, I was this cowboy character to them. Yeah. Know? Now, and it, it's interesting, I, you know, because I kept asking Discovery, like, why is this, like, look, if Naked and Afraid can make it, yeah. why is this not making it? And they said it just didn't, it didn't poll well in the U.S. at that time. Yeah. So, yeah, they killed it after that. Yeah. It was a lot of, you know, it was dark and everybody was kind of greenish, you know, with the Well, infrared. the production value, too, was real tough because those cameras were like 50 grand each. Wow. And doing it required massive camera crews. So I think production value was good, but the cost was pretty high. The spoiler here, they uh-huh. all three made it out of the cave and they collected their $100,000 oh, prize. Yes. Oh, yes. Yeah. <laughs> that was a rumor flying around town for a while. That's how you bought that ranch. That's how you got it. Yeah. Oh, well, I rented it for three ninety nine. Do you get any of the residuals from that? No, I get nothing. <laughs> I, we we literally each each contestant got three grand, and I donated donated mine to a children's burn center. So I didn't I didn't get anything but the experience, but that was enough. That's awesome. Okay, theater experience. You yes, touched sir. on it just briefly at the beginning. Yeah. My first play that I tried out for was in high school. I was a freshman. Yeah. Uh, it was Guys and Dolls. Yeah. And I got a part in it, but I had a Doombug accident, so I couldn't get in the play. Oh, no. Uh, and then the <laughs> next time I did something was at Hill College. I, I played Stanley in A Streetcar Named Desire. And then after that, I played Scrooge. Okay. And I got a little bitty. When I say little bitty, I mean little <laughs> bitty scholarship uh, that followed me to TCU, and I took acting as a minor. Yeah. At TCU, but okay. didn't learn a damn thing. <laughs> and then I did uh, The Night Kate Williams Died. Uh, I played a part in it uh, at Circle Theater. And then I've helped out around stuff that had to do with theater where we lived locally. Okay. All yeah. right. So there's some love there for it. Oh, no doubt. I love I love theater, literature, movies. Yeah. I mean, that was kind of Tracy and mine's big thing. We would... We'd literally, we'd go watch a movie, and then we couldn't wait to go eat pizza and then talk about it afterwards, like yeah. what was right, what was wrong, camera angles. And her background is far more deeply rooted in theater than yeah. mine. She she actually gave up a part on a soap opera in New York to marry my <laughs> sorry ass, and I'm sure she's regretted it every <laughs> no. since. Yeah. No, but, I mean, I keep cajoling your wife, and, and uh, I was very happy that you got a part in this, but I really want to see Tracy up on stage. She'll get there. Yeah. She'll, get, she'll try out. She, I yeah. think it's just been crazy opening this business. It's been nice. Well, let's talk about Tracy um, or, or your family. Yeah. All, because in a lot of these stories, in your CrossFit stories, mm-hmm. all the podcasts and all that, um, you know, your family, the family part of it, even being a firefighter, the family gets left out of the story in so many ways, yeah. yet they play such a vital role yeah. in shaping who you are. Yeah. I, it's a debt I can't repay. I don't know a lot about you. Or I didn't before I researched this show. <laughs> you know, we just have our conversations right. here in the restaurant. Right. But what told me the most about you the best measure of a man is in the children that he's raised. Wow. And that's what told me more about you than any of our other interactions. It's seeing I got a chance to meet your oldest daughter, Mackenzie. I've talked to Caitlin. I've acted on stage hmm. with your son, Jackson. And I see winners is what I see. And that right there is the biggest measure of a man. And you're going to deflect and you're going to say it's all Tracy, but I'm going to call bullshit on that because <laughs> they've got to have a father figure. Well, so. I, I'll, I'll, I'll take the compliment, but I wish I could take more credit for it, but I can't. I mean, I think, you know, I've helped to mold some of that for sure. Yeah. And I think Tracy's done a far better job at being a parent than I have. Um, and, and I, and I say that honestly, because gosh, man, I can remember, you know, being gone three days a week, come home four days a week, working at the gym, 
coming in at nine o'clock, tucking them in at night, telling them I love them. That's the only time I saw them for Florida. Yeah, yeah. And then I'm traveling all over the globe building this seminar and then trying to maintain a business there. So I don't take the credit because I don't feel that I fully earned it. Yeah. Um, I love them to death. I'm glad they've turned out well. And yeah. if they screw up, I'm going to straighten them out, you know. But, <laughs> but, but no, but I mean that. I mean, it, to their own credit, too, you know, they've done something that I really admire. And I think that's maybe where some of this through osmosis has happened for them, that as they've watched me, they realize they can do what they want to do and enjoy it. Yeah. And yeah. if they want to go do something, they do it. Well... They weren't seeing their dad going off and screwing around. They were seeing their dad going off and doing whatever he could do to put food, food on, on the table, table or whatever. Sure. I agree with that. Your daughter, Mackenzie, mm-hmm. recently engaged. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, look into the future, Jeff, and tell mm-hmm. me what it's going to be like walking your oldest daughter down the aisle. See, Have now you I know that? why you brought the I got the Kleenexes, yeah. man. <laughs> I get a sense that... There's a real bond there between you and that firstborn child. I mean, I'm sure it's there with Caitlin and Jackson, too. But they're, you know. Well, when we had Mackenzie, she was supposed to be the only child we could have. And so we had made up our minds as young parents that that was it. And we poured everything into her. And then four years later, I don't know who Tracy started dating, but she got pregnant again. (laughs) Handsome bastard. Uh, I think everybody has a different connection with each child for obvious reasons. Yeah, yeah. But, yeah, Mac and I are. She's my little ponytail girl, you know, with a pigtail still. And then all of a sudden she reminds me she's no longer that when she speaks and she's an adult and she's doing yeah. adult things and yeah. creating her career and her life, you know. But to me, she'll always be that little girl in pigtails. Awesome. In many ways, the Vanderhoff household is the embodiment of the American dream. They've got this wonderful place to live. And the whole play just takes place in that wonderful house. Sure. yeah. They're happy, and each of them are pursuing their own individual dreams. No doubt. Yeah. Yeah. I hope that comes through. Well, I mean, you've got Karen that's going to be dancing all the time around the stage. (laughs) Yeah, she bless her heart. You talk about aerobic exercise. She's she's working her butt off. The mother is at the typewriter the whole time. Yeah. Now, I texted you on this, and we'll see if you actually... Um, I gave you just a little bit of warning on this. We're going to talk about your castmates here. Yeah. Okay. And I want to tell you something before you start. I didn't look anything up. Okay. I wanted to do this on the cuff. You're just going to do it off the cuff. Okay. You know, I did this with Carly Richardson. I asked her when I had her on for Greece. I asked her, give me your impression of your castmates. Give me one word. Penelope Sycamore is played by Val Nelson. Yeah. What comes to mind? Smooth bourbon. Yeah. I mean, she's just really, really seasoned. Uh-huh. You know, she's aged well from a standpoint <laughs> of the, the content of what she does. And everything she does has just got this awesome delivery, this yeah. smooth delivery. Yeah. yeah. She's fantastic. I've got a chance to, to act with Val a few times. And, and I mean, aged as a spirit, not on the skin, right? I mean, oh. <laughs> she is. She's, she's got it. She does. Like, she'll step out there when she's ready. Yeah. And she'll step out there and boom, the energy's on. Yeah. yeah, it's impressive. Um, Essie, that dancer, Karen Myers. <laughs> Firecracker. Uh-huh. Yeah, just an absolute <laughs> pistol. My gosh. She's always smiling. You know, I really got to know her in Get Smart and just so supportive because I was really nervous about being in that play, uh-huh. especially with the four lines I think I had. <laughs> you know, she's supportive in a way, too, that, like, I I'll, guess I'll go ahead and just say it because everybody's kind of finding out. Uh, they're watching me and a couple of them kind of know, but I'm, I'm dyslexic. So it's real hard yeah. for me to move about stage looking at a book. And so I remember she and I, you know, she had asked me something and I told her, I said, well, this is what I'm dealing with. Cause I got my script before anybody else. And, yeah. and the reason I asked for that is cause I really, I have to work hard to remember those lines. And she goes, that's just, she just thought that was wonderful. She goes, yeah. I can't believe that you're doing what you're doing. And yeah. so I love her supportive at nature. Yeah. Patty Kilpatrick, <laughs> playing the part of Reba, the yeah. housemaid. Every time I see her, I think of the Kit Kat Club. Just <laughs> every time. She just gets so into what she does. But, you know, it's out back we'll be making up lines from other plays, or they're making up lines from plays they've been in. Yeah. But, yeah, she's just the Kit Kat Club is always what comes up when I think of her. Just... 
dressed as a little Asian woman. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. That's going back there. to get smart, by it the way, is, there for Patty. Is, All right, Doug Turner as Paul Sycamore. You know... Um, the man in the hat. Yeah, Mr. Fedora. I mean, I do. I think of... He, there's just a class to the guy. Yeah, yeah. You know, he's, he's kind of a... Just a quiet surprise waiting to happen. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Brian Downs, Mr. <laughs> Mr. DePina. <laughs> Art Carney. <laughs> From the Honeymooners. From the Honeymooners, exactly. Oh, I mean, he man. just. Brian he, will take that as an ultimate compliment. Well, dude, he's all, I mean, he is. He's, you know, I just see the arms and the hands and the legs going, and especially backstage when we're, yeah. we're cracking each other up before we step out. <laughs> yeah. I yeah. guess that was my next question. Before you step on stage for your. No, <laughs> I mean, what do you? Are you going to have any sort of a ritual? I do now. Now, okay. now, where we're at right now, yeah, I truly do. I tell you what's the, the hardest thing for me with this has been. I felt like going for the first three weeks when we were blocking. Yeah, I'm like I'm. I don't become grandpa till about sixty lines in. So that's not going to work. Yeah, I need to do it on the first delivery of the first line. I've been getting to where I just go outside and I I light the pipe and I walk around and smoke it and. And I, gosh, I sound like a method. Well, actor. no, no. You, you, you have to become grandpa. You should have seen me before I ran up the stairs as Vince Fontaine. I mean, I'm pretending to snort three lines of cocaine yeah. back there. But I, I'm, I'm trying to, and, and that's the other thing, too, is like his voice seems to come more the more I talk. So yeah. I got to yeah. find that from the get go. Yeah. But yeah, I got a little ritual. Taylor Crow plays Ed. Who I guess is married to Essie. Correct. Ed's been Ed's played well, a little bit too much. Well, they're technically married. Okay. <laughs> and Ed's played a little bit too much football in, with the leather helmet in his day. Maybe. What are your impressions there of getting to work with Taylor and? You know, I love watching them work off each other. They yeah. do a really great job. Yeah. I, I didn't. It's the first time I've been in something with Ed. I mean Taylor. Uh, Taylor. Yeah. And I refer to everybody by their stage names too. I do that when I'm there. Yeah. And so, like, I'll walk in, hey, Ed, how's it going? But, you know, the first thing that comes to mind, he's just got this incredible flame of red hair. Yeah. But I can't get my <laughs> eyes off his eyebrows. <laughs> Especially when he smiles and he yeah. laughs. I mean, yeah. he's just, gosh, man, he's a lot of fun. Um, Donald, uh, played by Ricky Jones. <laughs> uh, okay, so here's what comes to mind. Okay. Damn it, Donald. <laughs> and the reason is, and he's going to love hearing this, so... Donald was really late coming in to his lines okay. when Grandpa and him were talking. So yeah. the running joke now is everybody out backstage is just going, damn it. You'll hear damn it Donald about every five minutes. <laughs> yeah. Uh, okay. Kasha Rose was just on the podcast. I don't know if you got a chance to listen to that I episode. actually listened to it yesterday. I guess you got to spend a little bit of time with Kasha and Get Smart as well. Very little, but I, I got to watch her a lot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What are your impressions of Kasha? You know, I... I'm just in awe of her, yeah. you know. Well, um, we all are. Yeah. I, yeah, but I mean, I, she's just a real gentle spirit. You know those people that, that she doesn't feign anything. There's nothing fake there. No. She's genuinely interested in what you've got to say, and you feel engaged the second you start talking to her. Yeah. And it, it's, it's not off-putting, but it certainly throws me off balance because I'm just not used to being around a lot of people like that. Right. Wouldn't the world be nicer and better? If we had more of her in it. There you go. Very well said. Um, Doug House plays Henderson. I guess that's, is that the other, um, is that the butler? <laughs> yeah. Well, okay. yeah, he, well, yeah, he, he's the, no, he's the uh, uh, tax revenue man. Oh, okay. IRS oh, man. okay. He's the guy that comes after you. Does yeah. a great job. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I, Doug is so reserved. I mean. But he can turn it on. He really does. He <laughs> He really does. Just watch out for those snakes. You know, he he, he does. And, and he sits out there in the audience. He patiently watches because even when the, he's not rehearsing that night, he'll show up and watch and be supportive. He's just a guy that just genuine. You yeah. Know, I, that's the sense I yeah, get. From he's him. one of those guys, a man of few words. But when he speaks, yeah. it's, you, you better listen. Well, I still can't get over the party he played a woman and get smart. I had still... <laughs> I had some nightmares about it, but, but no, I mean, I just, he loves what he's doing there. Yeah. I think it's cool. Yeah. Drew Irvin plays Tony Kirby. Uh, 
Drew stepped in at the last minute and he did, you know, and saved our butts in Mamma Mia. Oh, okay, I didn't know that. Yeah, I didn't know that. yeah. I didn't get a chance to see Mamma Mia. Yeah. We were too slammed. In and it. and now he is. Uh, he's got that Jimmy Stewart role there. What do you think yeah. about working with Drew? You know, I felt like I'd met a preacher the first time I met Drew. <laughs> he came over. He was so complimentary and so nice, and yeah. I didn't really get to know him. But he's he's also very. Uh, Kasha-esque. I mean, he's just, he seems like a very genuine, nice young man. Yeah. Really yeah. liked him. Yeah. I just thought, why are you complimenting me, man? Come on. <laughs> you know, I watched you up there. Yeah. You know? He'll drink a whiskey with you too, though. Yeah, yeah. 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 We, we hung some wallpaper with Jimmy here recently. It was oh, a lot okay. of fun. Yeah. All right. I'm so excited to see Drex Holt as Kolintkakov. Yes. Yes. Okay. Uh, the sleeper. Yeah. Truly the sleeper. The sleeper. Yeah. I mean, I knew the guy was good, and, I, and I've watched him in other tryouts, you know, uh, yeah. but watching him every time he talks, and the grandpa character and him become buddies in this movie, or this yeah. play, yeah. and so, yeah, I, I just, I feed off of what, I, I can't wait to watch him talk, and then it slapstick with it, too. He's <laughs> he's friggin' awesome, you know, and that, that Russian accent, my God. I, I, had, I, I haven't heard it. it. I'm excited to it's hear it, though. It's so good. I was so happy for Drex to get that role. It, I mean, nailed it. I mean, yeah. nailed it. And, yeah. I mean, I figured he'd be good. But, listen, like last night, you know, like, there's a part in there. I snorted. I'm sorry. There's a part in there where he throws Mr. Kirby on the floor. And then, you know, later he apologizes in a very sarcastic tone. You know, I'm so sorry. But does oh, yeah. it with that thick Russian accent. Yeah. And he's just looming character. Too. He's a tall, big guy. Uh-huh. And just watching him do it, it's, man, I mean, it's it's gold. It To me, that's worth the price of the ticket. There you go. Gay Wellington is played by... The incomparable Taffy Watts. <laughs> true. Yeah. True. Yeah. Uh, You're throwing darts over her head. I get to throw darts. <laughs> now, Taffy said she just basically gets to play drunk, passed out on the couch most of the time. Yeah. And I know she's, I know she's has done much, much bigger ranges than that. Uh, you know, she just always, every time she's in there, she's smiling and she, you know, I, I mean this in the kindest way when I say this, so I want to preface. Okay. Just over the top. Yeah. Right? Oh, I yeah. mean, just over the top yeah. in a great way. Yeah. And so it, it's, she's kind of one of those, you okay, I'm going to throw a bridle on you and get you right where I want you. But right now, give me all that energy, right? <laughs> it's, it's fun to watch and fun to feed off of. Mino Mr. Kirby is played by newcomer Lamar Cravens. Yeah. Yeah. What a jerk. <laughs> <laughs> I'm kidding, Lamar. <laughs> no, that's one of my things I tell him all the time. Like, okay, remember, you're a jerk, and you know you're yeah. you're, you're an aloof prick. Uh-huh. You know, a stuff shirt. But you know, if I were to give a word to him, it would be uh, worldly and and Renaissance man. Yeah. I mean, as I listen to this guy talk, I'm just like, wow, you you are. I mean, you're worldly. You know stuff. It's fun to listen to him talk. His wife is played by Elisa Hinton. Yeah. What comes to mind when you think of Elisa? Just a royal pain in the <laughs> ass. Uh, man, uh, so there was <laughs> there's a there's a moment in there when she and I get to be real close to each other and and I just I, she she forces me to learn my lines better mm-hmm. because she just seems okay. I got, I mean it's just effortless. If I was yeah. to give her a word, it's effortless. Yeah. So just describe her would be that because she does. She makes it look so damn easy, and right. and it's good stuff too. Yeah. Uh, you've got some ensemble cast that kind of comes on at the end. You've got Walker Willie, who I actually ran into Walker today. A.J. Stevenson, Joe Taylor, yeah. and Holly Blanton. Yeah. How about those folks? Yeah, I really don't like Walker very much. (laughs) (laughs) No, they're all great. And and we've been working with his, well, like Walker, I think, stepped into a different role in okay uh, okay by proxy yeah so you know he's really he's really been stepping up into it but he he's you know he's a g-man what a stretch you know for walker (laughs) you know yeah he came in the day in his state police out yeah Yeah. no man i mean they're all great they're they're fun and we're we're playing off each other um there's chaos when they come on aj same thing yeah yeah Yeah. man same thing joe i love joe (laughs) department of justice yeah (laughs) joe i mean you know and and, uh he it's so great to see this side of joe and he loves it so much you know his daughter tori has been in a lot of things and uh 
for some old stodgy police guy that Joe used to be to see him up there just enjoying theater. Well, he didn't pull any punches. I mean, he'll gig you a little bit. It's pretty <laughs> oh, yeah. fun. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Holly, you have much experience with Holly. You, that probably takes you back to get smart. Get smart too. for sure. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, and with Holly, it's like she she plays the Duchess in this. Um, you know, she just, you know, she really reminds me of is just like this seventh grader. You know, just so full of energy. She's smiling all the time. Always got a kind word. You know, she's just excited. She's just a ball of energy. Yeah. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. Hey, that was pretty good. I don't know if I could have done that, but that's a pretty good assessment of all your uh, co-stars. And you didn't write it down. <laughs> no, I didn't. I didn't. I, I just I felt that was unfair. I wanted to tell you what I thought in my mind. We started the show. I had you read that quote, Jeff. Nothing in the world is worth having or worth doing unless it means effort, pain, and difficulty. I have never in my life envied a human being who led an easy life. And, of course, that quote was attributed to Teddy Roosevelt. Yes. I mean, we're sitting here, and his photo is looming (laughs) over your brewery here, Teddy's Brewhouse. I guess, first of all, let's talk about your infatuation and love for Teddy Roosevelt. And then I think that's going to get us into our dramatic reading. Great. So one of my degrees in college was history. Uh, My other major was philosophy. And then I just finished my master's in history here last semester. He's an iconic figure. He's a flawed character. You know, I'm not like as a historian, I'm not one of these that would look at an individual and just throw praise on them because they happen to be in a historic setting or event. Yeah. So I got to study the man, and the more I studied him, the more I fell in love with him because he truly is just, he's a human being. I mean, he's not afraid to, he, he's like you and I, like, well, I didn't really want to show that part of myself, but yeah. hey, this is me, yeah. right? Or, yeah. or, you know, that might have been embarrassing, but I'll do better next time. And, you know, but I love about him is the strenuous life. I mean, he wrote a book about it. And so he really tried to practice what he preached while in the face of so much antagonism back toward him, (laughs) you know. So, you know, where you and I might, well, maybe not you, but where I might turn around and maybe shoot the bird at somebody (laughs) that I don't like, well, Teddy's going to get on his horse and, you know, go open Yellowstone Park, you know. I mean, he's just, he is. He's done, I I think the most, I'll say this and I'll, I'll do the reading. I think the most poignant thing about Teddy is that on now February 14th was not Valentine's Day when this occurred, but on February 14th in his cursory uh, diary he just writes an X, and that's it. Mm. And uh, and that was the day that his mother and his first wife passed away in the same house on the same day, of two different illnesses. Wow. And shortly thereafter he packs up and he goes to the Badlands and becomes a cattleman, and a cowboy. Uh, and a law officer. I mean, he did a lot of things before he came back. He truly went and reinvented himself. Or a fireman or, or a CrossFit <laughs> instructor. <laughs> well, maybe so. Maybe that's it. Um, but I love the fact that he came back, and then look what he did after he came back. Yeah. You know? look, look what happened to him. He never expected to be president. He was going to be vice president. It's a nowhere job. And then look what happened. You know. So he's he's an iconic figure for a lot of those reasons. But I think this describes him. It applies to all of us. Okay. I don't think there's any human being on the planet this couldn't apply to. All right, I'll see if I can get through this. Um, I get choked up when I see this thing. <clears throat> it is not the critic who counts. Not the man who points out how the strong man stumbles or where the doer of deeds could have done them better. The credit belongs to the man who is actually in the arena, whose face is marred by dust and sweat and blood, who strives valiantly, who errs, who comes up short again and again, who spins himself into a worthy cause, who at the best knows in the end the triumph of high achievement, and who at the worst, if he fails, at least fails while daring greatly. So that his place shall never be with those cold and timid souls who neither know victory nor defeat. Teddy Roosevelt. 
thank you for what you've done for our community and thank you for giving of your time to the lyric too i cannot wait to see you can't take it with you well i'll I'll close with one thing and i do it in every seminar i've ever taught and any podcast i've ever done so i appreciate you i appreciate the opportunity i really appreciate what brownwood has done for us and my dad taught me one thing that there's no higher calling in life than to be a service So I hope we've been a service to you and and this community. We're going to continue to do it. Thanks, Jeff. You bet. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Waxing Lyrically, sponsored by the one and only Teddy's Brewhouse in downtown Brownwood. If you enjoyed our podcast, why not share it with a friend? This is your announcer, Kurt Schneider, wishing all Brownwood Lyric Theater lovers a great day. See you next time.